Hey there. Welcome to More Than a Crush, a podcast about love. Each week, we pick a theme and share a story about one of the many facets of love. We are your hosts. I'm Marion Bolognese, an artist and designer recording from New York. And I'm Kim Berry, a therapist broadcasting from New Jersey. So, Kim, would you like to introduce our theme today? Our theme today is Wild Wild World. Oh, and it is a wild, wild world. The wildest. So, Kim, I consider you to be a cat person. Is (gasps) that true? Well, it's funny you say that because, no, I was one of those people that would like, for no reason, like, you know, like those memes where it's nobody and then it's me and it has like a whole whatever, whatever. That was me of like how I hated cats. Until cat dog just found you and forced you to become a cat person? Yes. Because now you've had two cats in a row. Right. And I was actually curious, did you have dogs growing up? Yeah, I had dogs growing up, and I always wanted a dog as a more mature adult type of person that I am now, (laughs) but it just never really kind of fit into life. And yeah, like, we would, for no reason whatsoever, talk trash on cats, like cats are the worst, blah, blah, blah. And you then, and Edward. Yeah. The senator. Yeah. Me and the senator would talk about cats not very nicely and how we'd wanted a dog, but like we weren't quite ready for a dog. There's always a reason why we weren't quite ready for a dog. And then one day we came home and there was a cat sleeping against our back door. And I said, oh, look, we have a cat. And then we really did have a cat. And then they kind of changed our viewpoints on the animal, on the feline persuasion. <laughs> cat dog. That cat was dog. Cat. Oh, yeah. Cat dog. She's legendary. She was legendary. R.I.P. And even when, when she passed away, we were so wrecked over it in a way that we kind of like afterwards I was laughing about. Do you remember we used to hate cats and now we're truly mourning the loss of this beloved animal in our family? Now we have Bowie, who we also love and adore. I love cats and dogs, both. They are very different creatures. Different temperaments, for sure. Totally. And although sometimes there is overlap, as you experienced, and sort of Jolene's like a cat now these days. But I always imagine, like, you know, eventually we'll have a cat, too, because I grew up in a house with both cats and dogs. We always had cats and dogs. And I love them both. They're wonderful creatures always. But I think, you know, definitely I come from dog people. Like my father is such a crazy dog person. Not even crazy. He's just like he's so dedicated to our canine companions that we've had over the years. He's super into it, right? Well, I think it's interesting, too, because when you have dogs, you can travel with the dogs. So then other people know the dogs. Well, I mean, not all of them, obviously, but I know now two of your dad's dogs and I know Jolene. It's funny because I think about all the friends I have who have dogs and recently a friend's dog passed away and I was so sad. I was like, oh, like I had a relationship with that dog. (laughs) Yeah, totally. It's true. You get to know they're an extension of the family so frequently. 
They are. Most pets are, to be fair, hopefully. Most pets are, yes. Cats seem to be a little bit less interested in going places. Although when I was a kid, our cats, Chicha and Satnav, did come with us to the cabin every time we went, which is really, really? funny. And, and most people are, like, shocked by that. Yeah, we took them every weekend when we would go to the We would go much more frequently than we do now because we lived really close. And so we went almost every weekend and we would take them. And actually, Satnav came from the cabin. That's why her name was Satnav Satellite Navigation because she just appeared at the cabin one day and she had no collar, so she was a stray cat. We did ask around and nobody claimed her. And so we took her home with us to Long Island at the time. And then we would come bring her back with Chicha, our other cat, every weekend or so every time we visited. And then at one point she decided to take off again and she spent a summer in the woods at the cabin and then came back to us in the fall and we took her home again. And then she you know, never left again after that. But interesting cat. We had them for cats. We had them for both of them for a very long time. They were rugged. They were pretty badass cats. They held their own outside. They went they were indoor outdoor. That's how cat dog was. She was like a real rough and tumble. She was a cat, a Brooklyn street cat that was also definitely a house cat that had just been abandoned. She'd bring us rats all the time. But Gat was like super loving and, you know, she was definitely not a feral cat. The rugged indoor outdoor cats, although <laughs> have you ever have you ever seen the whole what is that show called? Like Adam ruins everything about why you're not supposed to let your cats go outside for exactly those reasons. Although the cabin it's a slightly different story that's straight up wildlife. I feel like the same thing in Brooklyn. Like no one was crying over the rats that the cat killed. Unfortunately, later, I think because, you know, we both Chicha and Satnav came to us as adult cats and then lived with us and they already, you know, had established their abilities out. They were strong and they had established their abilities outside and they had skills, you know, protect themselves. And then we had a series of kittens that we would also allow outside that unfortunately met. We're never to be seen again. And then we after that. Very strictly didn't let any cats out at night anymore. So they could go out during the day, but they had to come back at night. And so that's how my parents, I don't have a cat right now, but my parents have a wonderful cat that I love, Miss Bibi. And she goes out during the day, but not at night. And so she's been around for a very long time, safe, (laughs) thankfully. (laughs) Yes, yes. We don't let our current cat out, Bowie. He's a loving and wonderful and highly stupid and i just don't think he has the wiles about him to survive (laughs) he loves to make a great escape though whenever he can he tries to escape but then he comes back and (laughs) quickly you know he falls off furniture i don't feel like that bodes well for his adventure outside it's kind of the opposite of how you normally think of a cat yeah usually they are pretty You know, nimble, right, to say the least. Do you know the scene in Clueless where Cher is trying to impress Christian and they're laying on a bed and they're watching movies that he brought over? And she tries to do this, like, thing where she, like— Just bakes the cookies. Yeah, exactly. And she does this move where she tries to, like, run her hands through her hair and look sexy, and then she just rolls right off the bed. My cat does that all the time. <laughs> he, like, yawns. He's not, I don't think he's trying to be sexy, but maybe. I don't know. He does a stretch, and he's like, yeah, I'm loving life. And then he just rolls right off the bed or the couch. It's happened so many times. I don't know. Sweet, sweet boy. <laughs> All looks. 
Also, I have to say, you'd ask if family pets growing up. We were actually a big bunny family. We had a bunch of rabbits. Oh, we nice. Had indoor rabbits. And we had this a beloved rabbit named Harvey, who was this like giant white lop-eared rabbit. And he would hang around the house and run around. And him and the dog, actually, Harvey and Susie. Susie was the dog. And they would like chill and both lay stretched out when we're all watching TV as a family. It was very sweet. I had friends who had rabbits, and same thing, the rabbits and the dogs were pals. Which we were always kind of like, you can't leave them unattended because just nature, but uh, <laughs> they, they got along very well. <laughs> I mean, it's nature. That's been the wild, wild world, right? There's a lot of like just biological things that are decoded right into all of us. But Harvey and Susie got along very well, actually. We have a trend of not having the smartest animals in our lives. Susie was not the brightest bulb in the pack either. I mean, I think she thought maybe, I don't know what, Harvey was another dog friend that lived in a cage a lot of the time. But yeah, they got along. Well, so it's funny because our theme this week is Wild Wild World, but my story is nothing to do with the fact that dogs are technically or once were Wild animals now have been so domesticated. This is more on the, you know, bond between man or woman and dog. My father, so crazy about our dogs growing up. I think I can remember visiting his office. I'm certain that my father was as fond of our first dog, Katie, as he was of me. I'm sure of it. And I can remember (laughs) going to his office and seeing multiple photos of her when I was a little kid and kind of being blown away, like, whoa, you know, you have this many photos of Katie around the office. I don't even think there was one of me and my mother. Not that I have a problem with that. It's fine. You know, I, I was loved, am loved. It's it's just a testament to, like, how strongly he felt about his dog, Katie, and our subsequent wired-haired pointing Griffon, which were the dogs that we always had as I was growing up. Yeah, we had three different dogs, three of the same breed while I was growing up. I didn't really get it. I loved them. My mom loved them. We all loved them. But I didn't really get what it really is, like really understand the true bond between a human and a dog until I had a dog of my very own. And when you're a dog's person, when you are their person, their specific person, which like some dogs, you know, really orient themselves to a whole family. But in my experience, dogs a lot of times I have like a favorite person, right? Or someone that they're just like really bonded to. And when you have that, like the intensity of love and loyalty that they just emanate towards you is really awe-inspiring. They might be like the most loving creatures on earth. I don't know. True dedication. Yeah, truly. And life is better when you have a dog. I truly believe. The excitement that they feel, like you see that little tail wagging when you come home, the greeting that you get is totally life-changing. When they smile at you? They do. And their love is so unconditional. And they just want to be with you no matter what. Like, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Jolene will literally follow me from floor to floor. She wants to come to the bathroom with me every day. She, like, (laughs) waits to see where I'm going. Sometimes she tries to predict where I'm going, and then she turns around to see that I haven't gone in the direction that she wanted me to go. So then she follows me in the other direction. You know, at night, she sleeps in between my legs. She never wants to be apart. When I used to travel all the time for work, she would literally sleep on the chair facing the door, which is not her, you know, a typical thing. And then at night, at like three in the morning, she would crawl into bed with Eric when she finally realized I wasn't coming home. She waited. She waited for a long time. 
She's my baby. She's my first baby. It's funny, when Jolene first joined our family, our friends had newborn babies. And I didn't. And I like frequently had to bite my tongue because I was always comparing having my dog baby to human babies, which I could see from the expressions on my friends' faces. It's kind of frowned upon. Yeah, it yeah. is. It is. <laughs> Either they thought it was completely ridiculous or it was insulting that I was comparing my dog baby to their human baby. <laughs> but now that I have human children, I'm just going to say for the record, there's a lot of similarities, a lot of them. And if you don't have children, that is your fucking baby. OK, and they are really important. And so everybody who knows me out there, I can only speak for myself. But if you have a dog and you want to compare your dog to my human baby, I'm cool with it. That's fine. Babies, I'm cool with it. You can do it. It's fine. Dogs need love. You have to do a lot for them. You have to clean their shit. You have to teach them. You have to potty train them. You have to care for them. You have to feed them. You have to do a lot of things for them. They require a lot, and they give you a lot in return. I think one of the bigger differences is that you could go bring your baby on the subway. You weren't always allowed to bring your dog on the subway. I get why some people might, you know, they are different, but... If you're out there and you feel very strongly about your dog and you want to compare your dog to my baby, I'm fine with it, okay, everybody? And the loss of a dog in your family is huge. It's huge. It's losing a family member. This is a story about the love shared between a man and a dog. Hachiko Viakita and his human, Haiziboro Ueno. This love story takes place in the 1920s in Japan. Hachiko was born on a farm near the Japanese city of Odate, which I guess is fam- famously Akita land or where Akitas come from. Akita, for those you don't know, is a very popular breed of dogs in Japan. Actually, at this point in time, according to research based on this story, there were only 30 true purebred Akitas in Japan. I don't know what the numbers are now, but I know it's a very popular breed. Anyway, 1924... Hachiko was purchased by Haiziboro, who was a professor of agriculture at the Tokyo Imperial University. Ueno took Hachiko to Tokyo to live with him as his companion. And they bonded very quickly. And every day, Hachiko and Haiziboro would walk together to Shibuya Station, where Haiziboro would commute to work at the university. He would pet Hachi, she called him. And tell him he was going to work, and then every day at 3 p.m., when the professor stepped off the train, Hachiko would be there waiting for him, and they would walk home together. Oh my gosh, this is like a cartoon. I love it. Yeah, he would literally walk him to the station, then go home, and then come back. Unfortunately, and there's some debate about this timeline, but within one or two years of finding one another, Haizaboro died of a cerebral hemorrhage while he was at work at the university, and he was unable to return to Hachiko at the end of the day. So Hachiko obviously didn't really know what had happened, but his his person never returned at 3 p.m. So he returned to the station every afternoon, just as he did when Ueno was alive, with the hopes that they would be reunited. Oh, my goodness. And he continued to do this for a decade until his own death. On March 8th, 1935, which actually happened very close to the station, so he was wandering about. So they did end up meeting up because he died right on his way to meet Haizaboro. Anyway, 
Who was caring for Hachi? Was it the rest of the family? After Ueno died, he went to live with a family gardener. He had a partner. His partner's name was Yaiko Sakano, but they did not live together. And Hachiko was very bonded to her, but she did not take him afterwards. The gardener did. And I don't know why. Maybe the gardener stayed very close by. Uh, I'm not really sure what the circumstances were, but I think he was, you know, loved and cared for by the gardener as well for those next 10 years of his life. But he still returned every day to the station to greet Haizaburo and... At first, it was kind of annoying to the vendors at the station. Maybe he was begging or something. I'm not really sure. But then they bonded with him, and everyone, like, started to sort of be charmed by him, really liked him. They would give him treats. And people took notice to the fact that this dog that they remembered always going to the station and greeting his person, no longer greeting anybody but still going. And he'd see him, then he'd return by himself. And it was picked up by a major Japanese newspaper. They covered the story. And so everybody started to refer to him as Chuken Hachiko, which means Hachiko the faithful dog. And he became this symbol of faithful, of fidelity and loyalty in Japan. Like, and he became a celebrity, like a crazy celebrity. And people would come from all over the place to see Hachiko and say hi and, you know, give him treats and watch him wait for his person at the station watch from wait for Hyzaboro and he's been immortalized in stories movies there are several statues of him the first statue was erected right outside of the Shibuya station and unfortunately was destroyed in World War II but they replaced it after the war and it's like notable it's like the Hachiko exit and there's also a 3D mural which is pretty cool at the station which has Hachi on a rainbow it's like relief mural, like mosaic relief. It's really beautiful. People are just crazy about him. There's also an Akita Museum in Japan. I think it's in Odate, like I was saying, which honors Hachiko, the most famous Akita in the world. And it's a must visit for animal lovers. I don't know if you know this, but Japanese are pretty fond of dogs. They like cats, too, but a lot of dog people in Japan. So after his own death, Hachiko was cremated, and he was buried next to the professor at the Nessus went up with the Oyama Cemetery in Minato, Tokyo. And people go to his grave, they visit. He was also, his fur was preserved, and he is on display now at the National Science Museum of Japan in Tokyo. And each year on March 8th, the anniversary of his death, there is a ceremony in his honor at the station, and dog lovers come from all over the world to celebrate Hachiko, the faithful dog. Yeiko Sakano, who I mentioned earlier, was Ueno's partner, who also helped to care for Hachi after Ueno died. Her wishes were to be buried beside both of them. But I don't know, I guess somehow that request was not found until many years after her death. So actually in 2016, nearly 55 years after she was buried, some of her ashes, I guess she was cremated and part of her ashes remained outside of wherever she was originally buried. Those remaining ashes were buried next to Hachiko and Hadzaboro. So now the whole family has been reunited. So that's really nice. And there are two movies about this love story as well. I did not watch the movie. One Japanese movie and an American movie starring Richard Gere. (laughs) Richard Gere gets talked about every three episodes on this podcast. (laughs) 
<laughs> so yeah, I think it's called Hachiko the Dog, starring Richard Gere, and apparently it was filmed in Rhode Island, and so everybody in Rhode Island fell so in love with Hachiko that there's also a Hachiko statue in Rhode Island. No way! That's awesome. Yep, so that's the story of Hachiko the Faithful Dog. Still hugely popular in Japan. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Like, a hundred years after this dog's death, he's still being celebrated every year. I love it. I've never been to Japan, but I have an ever-growing list of places I would like to go and things to see one day when I do have the opportunity to travel there. And so that is now on the list. I love it, though. I do, You know, because it's true. The way that humans feel about animals, and especially when there is this bond and this faithfulness, it's really pretty extraordinary. I love that not only was that available to the owner and the dog, but to everyone who bore witness to it. Sounds like this dog really brought a lot of joy to so many people and continues to. That's crazy. Well, I have to say, I think it's interesting that you asked me about cats because my story today involves a cat, but we're not going to get there just yet. My story today is about the gorilla superstar, the icon, Coco. Do you know about Coco the gorilla? Yeah, of course. It's hard to discern what's really a part of pop culture when you're a small child, but I think that if you probably grew up in the 80s, you might know about Coco because she was just everywhere. I was very interested in Coco because I grew up very adjacent to deaf culture. And so an animal that signed was like mind blowing to me. You know, it wasn't just like humans, but that an animal could communicate using sign language. So that was kind of just immediately where my head went. We said, let's have this animal theme episode again. I was like, yes. And it was nice because I was. it felt like it hit really close to home. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. A lot of different kind of like animal love relationships happening here. It starts with a woman named Penny Pedersen. She attained her PhD at Stanford University in 1979. And her dissertation was linguistic capabilities of a lowland gorilla. Her research was really basically focused on teaching American Sign Language, ASL, to Coco and another gorilla, Michael. They're both lowland gorillas. How that came to be was that Coco was one of the first lowland gorillas that were was born in captivity. And it was great. It was a huge success. Unfortunately, though, Coco got really sick. And she had to be taken away. It was like a life-threatening illness. Something happened. And so they couldn't be with her family at the zoo. And Penny was like, let me take care of her. She was actually on the team taking care of her at the zoo, but also I would love to like utilize her um, as part of this program teaching sign language. And they were like, yeah, but you have to commit for four years. You can't just kind of be in and out of here. So Penny Pedersen was like, yeah, super dedicated. And she had known Coco since she was born and she wound up actually creating the Gorilla Foundation, which is a nonprofit research and preservation and protection organization for gorillas and other great apes through interspecies communication. That was what her whole study was on. And Coco wound up having an active vocabulary of more than a thousand signs, and she could understand 2,000 signs, which is about two and a half to three-year-old human, as far as language goes, and adapted the ASL that Penny 
taught her, and Penny called it guerrilla sign language. So it was very significant that that was her vocabulary. Michael, the lesser known <laughs> signing gorilla, he only had to sign his, it was more limited, like 500 signs. So Coco was born on the So fourth- she was kind of a prodigy. She was, yes. Coco was born on the 4th of July in 1971 at the San Francisco Zoo, and she lived most of her life at the Gorilla Foundation Preserve. And Coco is short for Hanabiko, which is Japanese for fireworks child, because, you know, born on the 4th of July. A lot of her first words were things like more, food, drink, which is very standard when you teach children, even hearing children, it's pretty common to teach children sign language because they have the understanding of language before the verbal capabilities of it. And that's usually their first signs, too, which is like milk or water, food, more. More is a big sign in my house right now. <laughs> Everything is more or again. They're interchangeable. Coco, she really didn't have any kind of grammar or syntax in her signing, but was also at the same time totally capable of communicating these pretty complicated concepts of emotion and memory. And she could express when she was happy or sad, she could express a desire to have a baby. We'll overlook the poor grammar, right? She, <laughs> if communication is really about, can you have someone else understand what you're trying to say? That worked. And Coco, her, her IQ, they tried to run very, like, obviously human-normed IQ tests on her. And her IQ is between about 70 to 90. 100 is average for humans. So she was really pretty bright by human standards as well. She gained worldwide attention when she was on the cover of the National Geographic taking a selfie. She took a picture of herself in a, in a mirror, and they were like, that's our cover! And then she was a cover model again in 1985 with a photo of her and her kitten, All Ball. And that's where the story begins. I don't know, do you remember All Ball? I don't remember All Ball. I remember there was more than one kitten. Maybe All Ball was, like, white and gray. Is that right? Yeah. But I definitely just remember Lipstick. She named the cat Lipstick, didn't she? Yep. Yeah. She did. Coco loved kittens. She was a cat person. Coco was a cat person. (laughs) Cat gorilla. (laughs) And there's great clips on YouTube watch them. Some of her favorite books was, one was called The Three Little Kittens, and the other one was Puss in Boots. And The Three Little Kittens, you can watch her, you know, Penny is reading her these books, and she's really very attuned to, like, there's this one illustration where, like, the cat is upset. It's like, paws are up like this, and Coco's pointing to the cat and being, like, sad, and, like, she's upset. She's empathizing with the kittens in the book. She just loved cats. And so... One year, Coco's like, I really want a cat for Christmas. And the researchers were like, we're on it. And they give her this very lifelike stuffed animal. And Coco was not having it. She was so disappointed. She was really upset. She refused to play with it and just kept signing sad over and over. And it's kind of like, well, yeah, it's like, you know, any kid that's going to ask for something for Christmas, like, I want this. And then they get the knockoff. They're not pleased about it. Coco wanted a kitten. She didn't want a stuffed animal. So Penny and the other researchers got their act together. And for Coco's following birthday, she was allowed to choose a kitten from a litter. And Coco chose a tailless gray and white 
Manx. And she named him All Ball because Coco loved to rhyme words in sign language. She always thought that was so clever when she could rhyme. So that was that became the new kitten. And Coco had a full daily schedule of sign classes and other activities every day, including an hour of All Ball playtime where she got to hang out with her kitten. And, you know, All Ball had, this was actually a really great little love story for All Ball, too, because All Ball had been rejected from his mother when he was only four weeks old, and he was being raised by a terrier until Coco was like, no, you're my cat. And All Ball had zero fear of this 230-pound gorilla. He was like, yep, this is my new Animal mommy? companion. Yes, mommy. <laughs> this is mommy. <laughs> the videos of them. Oh, my gosh. Love it. They're, like, chasing each other around. And she would scoop him up. And she would, like, try to nurse him. And she would hug him and pet him and, like, cuddle. And eventually all ball, the way a lot of animal pets become. They're like, I'm tired. I'm over this. And he would, like, nip at her and run away. And every time that all ball would do that, Coco would sign obnoxious cat. <laughs> She's like, yeah, no, like you're, you're naughty cat. You're just bit me and ran away. <laughs> Researchers really encouraged Coco's mothering of all ball. And she was very loving and gentle. And she would usually sign soft, good cat while holding all ball. And Coco would frequently also use all ball as like a scapegoat when Coco was being naughty. So there was this example of one time. I don't know exactly what inspired this action but coco ripped a steel sink off the wall you know the penny and the you know the handlers kind of came in and were like what happened and coco points to all ball and goes the cat did it (laughs) i love him like this reminds me of so many i don't know children who are like no i definitely didn't this reminds me of my brother one time got a pen knife and carved into the back of the bathroom door and carved his initials into the back of the bathroom door. And my mom was like, why'd you do this? And he's like, nah, dad did it. (laughs) (laughs) Sadly, though, the story does take a sad turn. They all live together on the Gorilla Foundation's seven-acre research facility. And one day, All Ball was wandering the grounds, and there was a highway nearby, and he got hit by a car. And everyone was like, oh my gosh, we don't want to tell Coco, but this is going to be bad. And when they told her, for the first 10 minutes, she acted like she couldn't even hear them. She was just ignoring them. And then she started to do this whimpering sound. It's a very distinct hooting sound that gorillas make when they're sad. And the researcher said everyone just, like, sat there and cried together. It was so sad. And she kept signing, like, sad, bad, frown, cry, trouble. She just kept, like, signing all of these different words to try to communicate her emotional experience. And then um, she finally signed sleep cat. And she, like, kind of, like, laid her hands down on her side. They said it was such a emotional roller coaster to see they were really grieving with her and they could acknowledge how sad it was for her but also at the same time like wow here is this animal able to communicate these much more in-depth emotional experiences which was i'm sure as a researcher very exciting but also they were all very devastated and very sad the following year coco was allowed to pick out two new kittens very similar. She loved cats that didn't have tails, just like All Ball. And she named them Smokey 
and lipstick. So this is where I think the, the story that you're very familiar with. And again, Coco, when for her birthday in 2015, she picked out two more kittens, Miss Black and Miss Gray. Sadly, she did pass away in her sleep at the age of 47 years old in 2018. And... The foundation had said that Coco had just become an ambassador for all gorillas and an icon for interspecies communication and empathy. She was famous. She had visits from celebrities all the time. Robin Williams came to visit her. Coco used to watch Mr. Rogers. And one day he came to visit her and she was so thrilled to meet like the man that she watched on television that she very excitedly took his shoes off. Because, like, you know how on the start of every show he takes his shoes off? She was like, yes, I'm going to do this too, yeah! <laughs> and she was just a very, like, beloved animal by the humans around her as well. She was just very silly and would play with Penny and her other research people. And I'm going to leave a, one last note. Coco thought really highly of herself as well. Guess how she referred to herself? Please tell me. Queen. Yes. <laughs> yes, queen. Exactly. <laughs> so that is all about Coco and her cats. I like this story because it's kind of like the humans that love the gorilla and the gorilla that loves the cats. And she was, I think, really just able to present a lot of kind of positive information about nature. I feel like that was a really big thing, too, in the 80s was like getting kids involved in the environment and animal preservation and things of that nature. And I just ate it all up as a kid. I thought it was great. Me too. I loved Coco and lipstick and Coco and her kitten, the book. I loved it. I'm going to, I'm going to definitely try to find it now. Yeah, me too. I like the animal love stories. Thanks for picking this theme. That was a good one. Yeah. I like the animal love stories too. So tell me, Marion, what are you crushing on? You know what I'm crushing on? I'm crushing on my daughter, my daughters, plural, but one specifically, has been really helping clean up. This has happened before, but now it's like really intense. And there's one that's just like a little bit more excited about cleaning up than the other one. Yeah, true Virgos, exactly. And if I say like, can you go pick these up? Can you go pick everything up? She goes and she collects like every last Lego or every last block, you know, whatever it is. Like she goes around and she looks for them and retrieves them and puts them back. And this is like a huge thing, you know, it's a huge help to me. <laughs> it is. And it's also just good life skill. You should know how to clean up after yourself as a human <laughs> in general. That is amazing. Yes. Anytime that your kid is going to clean up and follow directions, that is much to be crushed on. Yeah. I'm feeling a little bit like I'm about to cheat, but I swear I'm not cheating. I had intended on having this as my crush item today. I'm crushing on my cat, Bowie. I know I already talked a lot about <laughs> my cat today. <laughs> Sleep has been challenging for me of late. I have a lot of sleepless nights and the cat sleeps like next to me, usually between my legs and will follow me to bed, which is very sweet. But it's been really nice when I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm kind of like, here I am awake and trying to just relax and try to fall back asleep. And every single time he kind of gets up and he climbs up next to me and he like purrs and keeps me company. And it's so 
nice to just kind of be like, well, in solidarity, you are now up too. And he loves it, of course, because he, he, he's pet or I'm petting him. I think it works out. It's pretty mutually beneficial. But it has me also thinking about, because he's such a loving and affectionate animal, he'll run and greet you when you come to the door, which is, I think, kind of an odd thing for a cat to do, but I love it nonetheless. And it had me kind of thinking a little bit more globally around love and how, you know, sometimes I'm like, can you, you're such a nudge, like, get off me. You know, he's trying to, like, climb up my leg or, like, sit on top of me. But really all he wants to do is he wants love. And his way of wanting love is to give it. And it's kind of amazing, right? Like, because he's a very loud purr. It reminds me of the skit with Paul McCartney and Chris Farley. You know, do you remember, like, the iconic Chris Farley interviews on Saturday Night Live where he would be a terrible interviewer? And he's like, is it true that in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you... And Paul's like, yeah. And he's like, yes! Yes! And he's just freaking out. It is true, and I see it even with something as simple as my stupid little wonderful cat where he's like, I just want to love on you. And you're like, oh, and then so you like pet him and it's just very reciprocal and it's very innocent. And I love that because I know that in human relationships, it can become so complicated. And I think that's one of the reasons why people do love babies and love animals because it's just like this very simplified version of let me love you and let me receive that love. And it doesn't have to be tied to all this other stuff. It can just be love and yeah there's no strings attached it's just love yeah i mean i feed him so i think that might have something to do with it as well but (laughs) it's a lot less complicated of strings than other relationship dynamics (laughs) i mean i know not everyone are animal people i know that there's definitely people who just don't care for pets and that's okay no judgment but for those of you that do and appreciate and receive that kind of love from an animal i'm so glad that you do Because it's great. That's our show. That's our show. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in. You've heard from us, and we'd love to hear from you. Do you have a love story to share? Looking for some advice of the love variety? Reach out on email, morethanacrushpodcast at gmail.com, and find us on Instagram. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Special thank you to Natalie Joachim, who composed our theme music. We're so appreciative, Natalie. Thank you. We love you.